How comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? Are you willing to be alone with the thoughts that come to mind when you're sitting there in silence, maybe in darkness, without the TV, without the phone, so on and so forth? Are you willing to get out in nature without those same devices and digital avenues of connection that we find ourselves so attached to? In this episode right here, we're diving into an array of topics revolving around the benefits of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. It's time to dive in. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, cut from a different cloth, y'all will get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to rock a bar. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring mad. Welcome to the show, episode number 207 here on the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and as mentioned earlier in this episode, we're diving into a topic today that needs to be discussed more often in today's day and age where we currently are in society. That topic is being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And the reason we bring this up is because 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 300 years ago, we have made drastic advancements and there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a beautiful thing. But we cannot forget about the evolutionary wisdom that has been passed down to us that can still benefit us here today. So we are bringing a leading voice on how humans can integrate modern science and that evolutionary wisdom for improved health, meaning in their life and performance in their life and at work. Our guest today is Michael Easter, who travels the globe to embed himself with brilliant thinkers and people living at the absolute of extremes. And then he shares the best of his findings and experiences in books, articles, and other media outlets, just like the Decoding Success podcast, as well as the Joe Rogan experience, Art of Manliness, Impact Theory, Econ Talk, and many more notable shows. Now, his investigations have taken him to meet with, like I said, the extremes, monks in ancient monasteries, lost tribes in jungles, U.S. Special Forces soldiers, gene scientists, CEOs of Fortune 500 boardrooms, and so much more. His work shows that science has many, many answers, but it also shows that many aspects of the human experience and living well cannot be measured. To that end, his work combines key parts of the statistical and mystical. It melds topics ranging from medicine and anthropology to theology and philosophy, along with case studies of everyday people doing extraordinary things. Now, Michael's work has appeared in over 60 countries. It's been endorsed by directors of the CIA and Navy SEALs, gold medal winning Olympians, leading physicians, Pulitzer Prize winning authors, Buddhists and environmental leaders, and much more. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Comfort Crisis, and his work has appeared in Men's Health, where he's a contributing editor, and Outside, Men's Journal, Cosmopolitan, Vice, Esquire, Scientific American, Women's Health, and others. Today, he's bringing all of his findings right here to to this show to deliver them to all of you that are tuned in. Really excited to have you rocking with us for episode 207. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Michael Easter. Michael, welcome to the show. First and foremost, super excited to have you, excited to decode your success. So again, thank you for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. Of course. Now, first question, we're nearly 200 plus episodes into this podcast. We've had very unique responses to this first question each and every time. I'm curious, how are you personally defining success? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, 
I would say just uh, general life satisfaction um, because, you know, I think a lot of times people tend to measure success by uh, with numbers, <laughs> but uh, you look at the research and it doesn't back up that money or stuff or anything is really going to make us happy. Right. Um, so I think for me, it's like, how do I find things that I do with my time that uh, make me enjoy my time on earth? <laughs> I hear that. Now I'm curious. If you, so how are you measuring your life satisfaction? That's my first question. Um, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, and I would ask a question like, can it be measured? You know, like how do, how do yeah. we start to measure it? I'm like, you know, cause I think that pushes us in the direction of, um, like money and wealth. And, you know, this is why when you look at research on happiness among countries, it tends to be totally off because we tend to be like, okay, well, we think that, you know, having a certain GDP is going to make people happy, but it doesn't necessarily do that. Um, so I think for me, it's like trying to remain, um, present and aware of my internal state every day. And if I wake up fired up to do my job, and I can have these moments when I sort of like lapse into this flow state and I'm like, damn, I love doing what I do. Then it doesn't really matter the number in my bank account or the logo on my car or my watch or whatever. Cause I'm, these are more important things, you know? So what I think happens, for me? Yeah, no, I agree. So essentially you're saying that it doesn't even necessarily need to be measured, right? There's not a necessity to actually measure it. Well, I mean, you could certainly try, but I mean, right you know, measurements are prone to error, right? Especially when we're talking about, look, I can measure a mile. We make up a distance called a mile and we sure. say it's 5,000, whatever feet. So we make that up. We go, okay, that's very measurable. But like, how do you measure the, the experience of being a human, right? Like there's certain things that we know that um, make us happy, make us feel a certain way, make us um, excited to live and just be alive that I don't know how you measure them. You know what I mean? Because you can think of, because um, <clears throat> you have examples, you know, going back to how we tend to measure things with money. It's like, how many millionaires can you think of who are freaking miserable? Mm. And then yet you have, you know, uh, for example, um, you know, Buddhist monks who they don't own a single thing. They own a bowl and they have to go out and beg for their food, but they're like totally, completely happy. Right. So I think it's, um, I think it's figuring out what does it for you. And I think sometimes when we focus too much on, um, money and too much measurements, cause in the West, we always try and measure stuff. Right. Oh, for sure. For um, sure. I think this can look, I think it's useful for sure. Um, but I, I guess I'm, my message is like, it shouldn't be the end all be all. Totally. Totally get that. Now I'm curious, you mentioned like waking up, seeing your internal state, you know, tapping into flow. That's the positive end of it. What happens if you wake up and you're not on that positive end, you're in that negative end, what are you doing? How that happens sometimes. Um, I have to kind of like check what my, what I've done the past few days right. and see like, oh, I didn't, um, I didn't exercise or I didn't uh, spend time writing this week, that much time writing. And that's what, that's something that I really enjoy, you know, um, or what didn't I do or what did I do? Um, maybe I'm dealing too much with a person who is a drain on my life. Right. So I think trying to identify, well, why might that be? And sometimes, you know, frankly, there's, there's not an answer, sure. you know, um, 
but I think just kind of trying to be aware of, um, behaviors. Like I think people, um, and, and this, I'm speaking this as a person who was totally like this, just, I don't think people are totally aware of their daily behaviors. Like we just kind of do stuff, you know, and we don't really stop, step back and go, why am I doing that? And what's it doing for me? And asking those kind of questions. So I'm curious, what would you say to someone? Cause I, I get caught up in that. Um, you know, I, I'm on the rabbit wheel sometimes or the hamster wheel, however, however you want to frame it and just like going, going, going. I mean, yeah. Hey, uh, especially being born and raised in New York, you can kind of just get caught up <laughs> in the speed of the atmosphere that you're in or the environment that you're in. So totally. what advice for someone that is listening to this, that's like, oh shit, you know, I'm kind of on autopilot. How do I get off autopilot and, and be more conscious of what my behaviors are, what I'm doing, what my habits are, et cetera? Yeah, totally. Um, I lived in New York for a while too. I could, I, that pace in New York is easy you could to attest get caught to it. up Yeah. In. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's interesting because, you know, in this book I wrote called The Comfort Crisis, I write about how humans are sort of, we default into routine behaviors like day in and day out. And the reason we do this is because in our past environments, as we are evolving in these really like rough and tumble, dangerous environments, uh, if we could predict the future, whether that was where our food was coming from, um, where, you know, dangerous animals were, <laughs> what the weather is going to be like, that kept us alive and safe. Um, but nowadays it's like, we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, but our brain still really defaults to this predictability. Mm. And when you do the same thing sort of over and over your brain lapses into autopilot, as you said, there's like some really interesting research out of the UK about this. And so instead of sort of being present and aware in your life, it's just sort of boom, boom, boom. You're just going through the motions. Right. And, um, when you think about it, there's this great William James quote. And he said, uh, you know, your life is a summation of that, which you were aware of. I mean, think about it, right. It's like, right, that's right. it. So I think a lot of times people could benefit from just trying to shake up their routine, um, in any, in any way. Cause what happens is all of a sudden when you do, when you do something new, when you learn new things, uh, you can't predict the future anymore. Right. Cause you've never experienced that before. Sure. So you're kind of forced into being present and focused. So for me, that's like, um, you know, on the daily, I'll even, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time behind screens, whether yep. that's their phone, whether that's their computer, like just taking time every day to totally disconnect like totally and go out in nature for even like five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I think that's a good time to sort of reset and give yourself a little bit of space to like get out of that just hyper, hyper fast mode that we all tend to, to lapse into for sure. And the research around this is totally fascinating. You know, in the book, I talk about how as humans evolved, like boredom was a good thing because it basically told us like, whatever you're doing with your time, it's, you're wasting your time. It's not going to help you survive. So go do something else. It's this uncomfortable feeling, right. That tells us go do something else productive. But now we have these like easy, easy, effortless escapes from boredom. And that's our phone. That's our computer sure. screen. That's Netflix. So we need time away from all that uh, every now and then just to sort of reset. Now, do you feel like people, I want to dive into the book in a second. Do you feel like people shy away from boredom because they're scared of what comes up for them? Meaning like they're scared of embracing, you know, the traumas they've been through or, you know, those negative experiences. I think that, yeah, I think that could totally be a reason. I think there's a lot of, 
a lot of reasons. I mean, look, it's like, if you just sit and do nothing, you, you're just like, it just feels like it doesn't feel good. Weird. Right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to like describe. Um, and your brain can go to some strange places. Sure. Um, but also it can go to some different, interesting places, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of make the argument, uh, that boredom is neither good nor bad. It is simply just this thing that tells you do something, do something else. And now our something else is this is just like going on Instagram or going on our computer, or Amazon or watching Netflix or whatever, which is fine. Don't get me wrong. But if that's all we're doing, um, that has some definite repercussions. So now uh, Americans today, we spend more than 11 hours a day on with digital media, which is like a lot of time. Right. Yeah. So I think we need these moments where we kind of are like, you know what? I'm going to be bored. There might be times when it sucks, but there might be times where I get pushed into some interesting ideas that I wouldn't have thought of had I not had this downtime. Is there any way that we can direct our minds and our thoughts to that positive place? Or maybe not even considering it positive, but, you know, as we're bored, is there any way that we can direct our thoughts to to a a place that would be more beneficial toward us? Well, I think that, um, you know, I brought up how I'll go outside. and even, I mean, I'm talking like, you don't need to go out in the like miles into the woods, like even just going into a city park. Um, it tends to calm us down because humans evolved in nature. There's all these things that um, sort of trigger us to sort of calm down, de-stress and just have more, more well-being basically. Right. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so I think that that can be one thing. It's just like, take a walk, disconnect, walk down. If you're in New York city and you got to street by you that has a lot of trees. Like, I think that can be useful. That disconnection. I think you're more likely to go into a sort of positive headspace than if you were like, I don't know, I'm just going to sit and stare at the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. All right, cool. So let's talk about the new book, the comfort crisis, embrace discomfort to reclaim your wild, happy, healthy self. Uh, First question for you is what did you experience that made you want to write this book? Yeah, there's, there's a handful of things, but, um, the short of it. So I worked at men's health magazine as an editor for a long time. Um, I'm still on the masthead. I just write for him. Um, and I noticed through that job that really anything that improves human health performance in athletics or work or whatever, usually comes with some form of discomfort. You have to go through discomfort. So you think about if I want to improve my fitness, I'm going to have to work out. Working out is uncomfortable. If I want to lose weight, probably gonna be hungry. That's uncomfortable. Even improving your performance at work, it takes a lot of like practice and having failures that, you know, suck and you learn from. And I met this uh, guy through my work because my sort of, um, I guess my forte at men's health was that I would find interesting far out characters who were doing kind of interesting things on the fringes, you know, and right. I meet this guy whose name's Donnie Vincent. He's this backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. And he makes these like amazing hunting documentaries and they're like planet earth, but with hunting <sighs> and, um, long story short, he invites me up to the Arctic with him for more than a month. Um, I had done a story on him in Nevada. We became friends and I go up to the Arctic with him for more than a month. And it's like this total new realm of, of discomfort. I mean, I'm freezing cold the entire time. Every single thing we do 
takes effort, whether that's getting from point A to point B, because we're carrying these 80 pound packs, whether that's getting water to cook with, we got to hike down to a stream, which is where grizzly bears hang out, hike it back up. Um, I mean, even this like silence and solitude of being out there are totally uncomfortable at first, like everything is effortful, uh, challenging and uncomfortable. And when I got back to my normal life, it was like, oh my God, you know, you, once you've been out there, it's like modern life today is so like comfortable in so many ways. We've totally engineered like challenge, effort, all these other things out of our lives. But humans evolved in environments that were like the one I experienced in the Arctic, mm. you know, to live was to be challenged and be uncomfortable. And now we've had this really recent tip into these super comfort. And I just wanted to know, I wonder if that's changed us. And if it has, how, you know? Right. So I started uh, traveling the world, looking into this. Um, you know, I read tons and tons of studies and ancient texts, all this kind of stuff. And I met with, you know, anthropologists at Harvard, doctors at the Mayo Clinic, special forces soldiers, like Buddhist leaders in Bhutan, geneticists in Iceland, just all these different characters. And they're all kind of finding in their own way that sort of the, these different discomforts that you should really think, be thinking about weaving back into your life. You know, the, the message of the book is not just haphazardly go get uncomfortable, however you define that. It's like, right. there are certain forms of discomfort that we evolved facing that still tend to really uh, improve us. So in the book, I sort of lay those out. Okay, cool. So what are some examples, if you don't mind sharing, of how people can get that level of discomfort in their life safely um, mm-hmm. without having to tra- travel to like the Arctic or something of that yeah. nature? <laughs> totally. Yeah, the message of the book is, uh, is not go to the Arctic for a month. <laughs> I mean, this is stuff that you, like, you can very easily put back into your life. Some of the stuff that I identify does i mean we do have to be pushed back against to a certain extent but a lot of stuff is pretty easy um i mean so for people that are just interested in performance at work take for example i already touched on boredom so boredom is a great way like if you can have these times removed from these easy escapes from boredom i.e media um it tends to be associated with a lot more creativity and more creative ideas. So they'll do studies on this where they'll let a group just kind of hang out in a room on their cell phone, and then they'll give them a creativity test. They do okay. Then they'll take another group, and they will bore the shit out of them. Mm. They'll make them watch like a movie that's eight minutes long of people folding laundry, and they can't do anything but watch it. And people get really bored, right? Then they'll give them creativity tests, and they just like outperform the non-bored people insanely well. So I think that that's important in today's economy where, you know, ideas are money, you know? So that's one thing. Um, Another thing for people in business is silence. So most people report that they feel uncomfortable in silence. Mm -hmm. Um, The world is really loud now. A lot of people will just keep on music all the time or keep their TV on all the time because they don't want to be in silence. But... um, Silence actually makes us a lot more productive. Mm. When you look at the research around that, like people tend to produce more, to think better when they're in silence. It's like, yes, it's uncomfortable for a little bit, but um, it does improve us. And I started thinking about that because being up in the Arctic, I'd never been in that level of silence ever. Like you right. just stand there, you can hear your heart beating, you can hear blood being pumped into your brain from your, you know, the veins in your neck. I mean, it is wild 
but it's really calming. Um, I talked about more time outside. I think that's important. And there's different levels of that that are important. Um, what else? I think, um, so one of the things I did is I met with this guy who's a researcher at Harvard and, or, or sorry, he's a, he was a doctor at Harvard and now he runs this um, sports science facility. So he has a contract with the NBA. Like all these different NBA players have gone through a system. I mean, you name anyone um, and they've, they've gone through them, but he also knows kind of sort of back to my original thing we were talking about when we first started is that like, not everything that improves humans can be measured. Like it just right. can't, you know? Um, so he does this thing called uh, Masogi. And the idea is uh, once a year, I'm going to choose one really freaking hard thing in nature and I'm going to go do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the rules are simple. Um, it's got to be really hard, which he defines by saying you should have a 50-50 shot of accomplishing it. Uh, and then number two is you can't die. And that one's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. So they've done things like uh, stand. They've never really stand up paddleboarded. They stand up paddleboarded like 25 miles across this Santa Barbara channel. Wow. Done weird stuff like carry boulders underwater, like 85 pound boulders. And, you know, the point more is that when you look at how humans evolved, it's like, we used to have to do challenging stuff all the time. Right. So things like a a hunt, if we were running out of food, we might have to move from like summering to wintering grounds, or, you know, we'd have to face off with like tigers lurking in the bushes. And we don't have any of that stuff anymore, but each time we would accomplish that stuff in our past, it would, would tell us something about ourselves, Right. We'd like learn where our potential was because we got pushed to this edge where failure had real repercussions in modern life. Failure is like, Oh, a deal didn't go through, but am I going to be like out on the street and destitute and die? Like, no, right, you know? right. um, or like my boss looked at me with a bad look. Cause I misspelled something in a PowerPoint, you know? So we need these times. Um, he argues where I'm going to go out and I'm going to try something hard and there's a huge chance I could fail. And as I do it, I'm really going to doubt myself. I'm going to be like, I don't know if I can do this. I think I'm going to quit. But by keeping going, you can look back and be like, man, I thought my limit was a mile ago. Right. But here I am past it. And it's like, well, then you ask yourself where else in life am I selling myself short? Mm. So you have these moments where you realize that you're a lot more capable than you ever imagined. And, um, yeah, I could go on for days, but that can kind of get us started. No, that's, that's super powerful. I'm curious now hearing this, what's your advice for embracing the discomfort and staying consistent with it, right? Because someone that listens to this might try it, including myself, I might try, mm-hmm. you know, disconnecting from media for X amount of time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I do it for a week and then I'm like, all right, back to my normal routine. I just kind of like hop back on the wheel, you know, mm-hmm. so like what's your advice for embracing and being consistent with it? Yeah, the consistency is definitely tricky. And again, that goes back to what I was talking about, right? Humans love routine. We just want to stick in our comfort zones of routine. But I think that, you know, like being aware that if you're always staying within your comfort zone, however, whatever that might be, however we're defining it, Mm -hmm. you're probably not growing, (laughs) you know? Humans don't grow when stuff is really easy. If things are easy, you're probably not going, going well, you're not going in a great direction. Right. Um, we know we need to take on hard things. So, I mean, 
for me, it's just, you know, I've, I've, I wrote this book. So I like, it's easier for me to like remind myself of that. But I think just the, uh, self-awareness is, is huge there. And then like, how do you get that self-awareness? I don't know, reminders, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think we internally know, like when things are just like, you feel like you are on that autopilot or you're just, you feel a little bit stuck. It's like, that's the reminder right there. It's just right. the ability to interpret that. Like, Oh, I need to, I need to challenge myself. Whereas I think a lot of times in modern life we go, I don't feel something feels off. You know what? I'm going to sit on the couch for three hours and watch Netflix. Right. Oftentimes right. we think that that's the answer. No, it's like, go out and do something that challenges you. Cause mm -hmm. that tends to really kick us out of that rut more than anything. Super easy. Now, what got you super passionate about this? Like I could just tell from the energy you speak on, obviously you put effort into writing a book. Like what was it that made you passionate about pursuing something of this nature? Um, that's a good question. I think that, you know, as a journalist, I'm interested in um, learning stuff. I mean, yeah. I think part of the reason that I took this job is like, I'm the type of person that will think of something in my head and then go on Wikipedia. And then like three hours later, I'm a hundred Wiki Wikipedia pages deep just cause I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Right. So I like learning and I like talking to people. That's the other part of my job, you know, being a journalist. And I think for this topic in particular, I realized it was kind of like a big question that I was having to figure out. And it had a lot of like different connections, you know, um, throughout history. And so I think when it was something this big and it required a lot of learning and talking to people, I mean, that just kind of gets me excited to do yeah. it. You know what I mean? To sort of figure out what the hell's going on there. And it, it's quite possible I could have found nothing and it would have been a waste of time, but I think sort of the opposite happened. Yeah, no, clearly. I mean, <laughs> clearly. Uh, I'm curious though, if individuals that pick up this book could only take away one thing from it, what would you want that one thing to be and why? Mm, one thing that's tricky. I think that I would want people to realize that Okay, I'm going <laughs> to, I know how I'm going to answer this. I'll, I'll answer this with a story. So when I, uh, so to get up to the Arctic, it took uh, six flights. And cause you go from, you know, I live in Las Vegas, I'm Las Vegas to Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage, Anchorage to um, Kotzebue, Kotzebue to uh, literally just the middle of the tundra on a plane that fit four people. And then from there, that plane was too big. Um, so then I had to get on a plane that only fit two people to go even farther wow. into the tundra, you know, but on that first flight from Vegas to Seattle, it's a, it's a big plane. Right. And so I'm sitting in, you know, economy and I hate flying. The seats are too small. The movies they show on the screens, they suck. They always suck. Right. <laughs> um, it's always too hot on the airplane. Uh, what else? Well, now they charge you for peanuts, right? There's all these things that I hate about flying, inconveniences. Uh, and then I go spend a month in the Arctic. And if I, want run, if I want water, I have to hike down to a stream. We didn't bring in enough food. So I'm starving the entire time because food's heavy, right? We're not going to pack in like enough, uh, enough that we were burning to match that. Um, I was freezing cold the entire time. I mean, it got down to negative 20 some days. Every single thing took effort all these different things were very challenging about it. And so when I get back, uh, when I get back and I have to take that flight again, 
where do you think my head was like? Right. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> this flight is the most unbelievable thing I've ever experienced in my life. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in a chair. I haven't sat in a chair for more than a month. Not only that, but it is soft. doesn't matter that I'm really close to this weirdo next to me. I've been so bored for the last month and I have a screen in front of me that has a hundred different movies. I got up to go to the bathroom, the little closets they have, right. That are a bathroom and there's hot running water coming out of the faucet. I hadn't, I hadn't had running water, much less hot running water for a month. And it was like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. Mm. This is the most amazing thing ever. Not to mention this is all happening at 30,000 feet. Right. And I had, if I wanted to go anywhere for a month, I would have had to walk. And now I'm just going 700 miles an hour through the sky. So I, I told you all that to tell you uh, this, that I don't think people really, just like me, I don't think people realize how freaking good we have it in the grand scheme of time and space. Yep. And like by, <laughs> by sort of removing myself, when I got back to all these amazing advances we have, I could really appreciate them. And that gave me a ton of gratitude in my life. And it's like, if you have gratitude, everything in your life becomes better. Cause you're like, you can realize like, what the hell am I complaining for? Mm. And humans are really good at complaining. And there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, as we evolved, if we could really focus on problems and be constantly looking for problems that kind of gave us a survival advantage. But nowadays we still have this in a world that yes, there's still problems that we need to work on, but the day-to-day -day stuff life isn't that problematic. Most of us have very easy access to food, soft beds, temperature control, vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So instead we focus on these first world problems we have, right? So it kind of told me, it kind of showed me we have it really good and I shouldn't complain. And that's just, that just makes me happier every day. You know? Exactly. No, for sure, dude. I'm so glad you, you broke it down like that. Uh, we had Mike Tyson's former happiness coach on the show. His name's uh, Anil Gupta. Okay. Um, and I asked him, I'm like, yo, I, I personally struggle with being grateful for things. You know, like I was like, how, how can I be more grateful? And essentially he said, Matt, if I took, you know, random example, I think he said something along the lines, if I asked you to take your left eye, would you give it to me? And I said, no, or left hand, whatever he said. And he was like, all right, well, if you didn't have that left hand, how would you feel? And I, you know, I would, kind of feel weird without it like I, I like having my left hand and um he was like well are you grateful for it now and I'm like yeah obviously you know like I, I want it yeah. um so it's really interesting you broke it down like that but to that point like how do we not go to the extreme to experience it right like that that's always my question that was my question to him too so I'm curious yeah, now yeah. that we're kind of uh experiencing your response his response I, I just want to get your take on that well, I think that we, I think that we have a hard time. It's harder to grasp, grasp something abstractly mm. than it is to experience it and then be thrown back into normalcy. And because that really shows you, right? So it's like, how do I, what are some situations that I can put myself in that could make me more grateful for what I have? Well, since I got back, I started volunteering at um, the homeless shelter a lot more that'll make you pretty damn grateful. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Sure. That's like two hours a week, you know, right. and people will think, Oh, I don't have enough time. It's like do a time audit of your time. You have enough time. Trust oh, for me. Sure. 100%. Look at your screen time and then tell me you don't have enough time. <laughs> right. right? 
Um, so things like that, um, volunteering, even, you know, um, if you're like the outdoorsy type, I even think that like camping for a couple nights where you're like, mm. Oh, you get back into normal life and you've been eating this crappy, like backpacking food and you've been cold and sort of bored. You get back and like your first meal at a restaurant, you'll be like, Oh my God, this food is like the most amazing thing I've ever had. Right. 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 But right. I, I do think it's a lot easier to grasp this stuff. If we just find ways to get out of our normal life, um, and there's a variety of ways to do that, that that don't involve taking six planes to the Arctic for sure. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right, Michael, a question you wish more people would ask you. I know you've been on podcasts, you've done Rogan, you, you hop on stages, like a question you wish more people would ask, oh. how would you answer it? Man, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, let me think on that one. Let's, let's go back to that one. <laughs> yeah, we can definitely go back to that one. That's not, I, I, I never ask it to stump, but I always yeah. like to make sure that I'm extracting as much value for the audience as possible. And yeah. if, I'm, if I'm missing something, I kind of uh, tap into you there, but I'm curious, um, what's a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true? Um, the, yeah. So the advice wasn't, directed necessarily at me. It was just in a conversation. Um, I was talking to this guy and, um, he, I I can't even remember the context Mm. now, but he basically was just like, you know, when I realized I'm not that damn important, things started moving for me. And when I heard that, like, I'm not that damn important. It was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. (laughs) That had never occurred to me, you know? Um, cause I think we are programmed to only focus on ourselves, right? Yeah. Like we default to focusing on ourselves. And of course we like, you know, we have kids and family, we can kind of focus on them. But I think that for me, by like realizing that in the grand scheme of time and space, like no, no one's going to remember me, you know, like, <laughs> and that's being okay with that. It alters my behavior in such a way that. I can focus more on, uh, I guess I can focus less on me and more on we as a whole. Mm. Like, I'm just kind of, if I'm, if I'm aware of that and not constantly trying to be like, well, how does this benefit me? How do I do whatever? And just like, how does this benefit us as a whole? Um, that's, that was super, um, insightful for me, partially because of that behavior change, partially because it also helps you realize that you know, this ride is eventually going to end and I should try and just like detach from the normal, just, you know, kind of, I don't know if selfishness is the word, but I think people are inherently selfish in a lot of ways. And it's like, how do I get over that? Cause I can improve, um, not only the lives of others, but even my own life by doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think personally, I think there needs to be a certain level of selfishness, right? Like I, I can't pour mm-hmm. into your cup without my cup being full. Yeah. You know, so like, I I do think there needs to be a certain level of selfishness, but I'm also curious to learn how did you actually live out that advice, right? Like, how how did you actually live it out? Because I mean, listen, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, I I have to remind myself, I'm like, dude, you're just not that important, right? (laughs) Whether it's, uh, you know, an ex-girlfriend's friends, like creeping on my Instagram story. I'm like, are they creeping? Or like, what are they talking about? Or whether it's like being included in plans or something of that nature. I'm curious, like, how did you actually live that out? Yeah, I think that, well, part of it is like, 
we assume we automatically assume the worst tends to be like, I mean, think yeah. of that example you just gave where someone, you know, you see someone's on your story, you're probably like, what the hell's up with that? Rather than just like, right. She, she probably like misclicked. Right. You know, right. or like, who knows? Like there's a million, we assume that people do things for reasons and we're, we're probably wrong most of the time in the assumptions we make. Um, I had another answer and I sort of lost my train of thought. Um, help, I go back to helping people too. Yeah. So the, so I'm, I'm sober. I've been sober for like seven years now. And the dude who told me that he was also sober and it helps me. Um, this is somewhat selfishly. I, t- I can live a better life if I'm helping others. Mm-hmm. Right. So I like help a lot of guys who are also sober, getting sober, trying to get sober. Right. You know, so I'll volunteer with that and, and talk to them. Cause you know, it puts me, if I'm, talking for example to someone who's like you know they've got like two weeks of sobriety Mm. and they're just a freaking train wreck of a human being right now (laughs) but i can like tell them you know (laughs) what helped me get through that um it helps them but then i can also see them and be like all right that's why you shouldn't drink look how messed up that dude is you don't want to be back there right so i think that like even by helping others we we kind of are to your point you know, it's sort of, we're filling our own cup too. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's exactly why I say I have this show, right? Like I'm, we are collectively right now helping other people, but at the same time, I'm asking you questions that'll also help me. Yeah. Would would Michael and I have connected today without this podcast? Maybe if I emailed you and, you know, framed it a certain type of way, but I use this as like a a form of mentorship, you know, like it's an absolute amazing platform for that. So I always say that I'm glad you align with that. Um, Cool. Now I lost my chain of thought because you got me so amped up on that. Um, Let's go back to that question. You have an answer for it? Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about it in the back of my head and I think it kind of depends on what the domain is it's like Mm. I tend to cover a lot of different things in my writing and so I get just a lot of different um questions about like health and mental health and productivity and so I think it kind of depends on what the person wants to know like I can tell you um I think it would probably be like what's okay it might be this uh, what's the most surprising thing you've learned in your career? Okay. And I would probably answer that with, we don't know as much as we think we know. (laughs) So even something like, uh, the research on say nutrition, we've spent billions of dollars to basically learn that like to lose weight, you need to eat less. And we can't really say anything definitively beyond that. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, think about what, so humans, we know humans live way longer now, right? Like our average age has gone from 35 to like almost 80 in the US. And we think it's, you know, when you think why it's like, people are like, well, our hospitals are super, super like, there's all this crazy tech and new stuff. It's like, no, you want to know what moved the dial the most for longevity? Washing our freaking hands we started putting in some basic food safety measurements in the thirties. We started treating our water. We did like all this really basic stuff and that's what's really moved the dial. So I think that like in today's age, I say that because I think in today's age, today's age of tech and all this different information you can get and all this stuff, right? 
we tend to think that we're super, super amazingly like tuned in and smart in, in everything. In a lot of ways we are like the iPhone is amazing, but there's a lot of stuff out there that we still like, we don't really know that much about, right. you know? And so I think like recognizing that uh, it forces you to ask questions like, well, what do we know about this and how do we know it? And what can that tell me? You know? So I think, I think that that's kind of like a convoluted answer, but it is, it has been helpful for me. No, I love that. I love that. Now I, I picked up my chain of thought. Um, you were mentioning sobriety. What, what took you down that journey? Yeah. So my, um, <clears throat> the, the men I say in my family, they just run on booze, bedlam and yeah. just chaos. Right. Um, for example, my dad, who I don't, I don't know him, um, but he once got drunk, painted his horse green and rode it into a bar. Okay. You know, my uncles uh, all have long prison records. One of the funniest family stories is that my cousin gets thrown into a jail cell and he comes to, and he's woke up and he's in there with my uncle. Like that's how frequent they were. It is like this impromptu family reunion, right. you know? <laughs> and I started kind of riding that same proverbial horse, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, when I drank, it was like my favorite drink was always the next one. And when your favorite drink is the next one that can put you in a pickle sometimes, you know? Sure. Um, but I, I couldn't stop and I couldn't figure out, okay, what do I, like, I would always convince myself, nah, man, it's going to be different this time. Never was. And eventually over time, although, you know, when I got sober, if you looked at my life on paper, everything's great. You know, owned a house, had a good job, had a whatever, all that stuff. But inside, like I was a mess, you know, and I could see that like my habit, just cause I would do dumb shit when I would drink, you know, it's like, yeah, let's finish this drink and see how fast my car goes. Like that kind of stuff is going to end you early, you know? And for whatever reason, like I can't give you a good answer, but one morning I woke up and I could just very clearly see, like, if you stay comfortable and stay drinking, like, you know, that path, um, it's not that scary, but it's going to kill you early. Right. Or I could be like, Ooh, and try and get sober. I would have to totally relearn life and how to live it. And like, that's scary because, you know, alcohol worked for a long time and um, until it didn't. And I decided to sort of take the uncomfortable path. And after that, like everything in my life got better, like across yeah. the board. So that's incredible. And that obviously ties into a lot of what we talked about today. I'm yeah. sure that's a truly uncomfortable, you know, switch. I, I can't necessarily resonate. I definitely casually drink every now and then probably more than I should, to be honest, especially hearing that. But I'm curious, like what did sobriety teach you the most thus far? Um, <clears throat> I think for me, it's been like just a lot of things. I mean, like literally I had to like relearn everything, but I think part of it is like, don't take time for granted, wake up, be aware. Um, Also, you're not that important in the grand scheme of time and space. (laughs) Like I said, you know, so like, how are you going to use this time? Like time is short. How are you going to use it in a way that, um, when the ride stops, you're like, you can look back on your life and be like, yeah, I think I did that pretty well. Cause if I had right. kept drinking, it would have been like, man, I don't remember a quarter of that thing, you know? <laughs> right. So, right. Right. Um, and also just like helped in my relationships a lot, not only with like the people that I love, but also like realizing that, um, you know, I'm going to believe there's something greater than myself out there. And if I can just like 
try and turn myself over to that every day, then things tend to go better. So I respect that, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Now I know I need to get you out of here. One last question for you. If Michael can only give one piece of advice for the rest of his life, what would that be? So if you're hopping on more podcasts, more stages, et cetera, writing another book, if you could only talk about one thing, give that one piece of advice, what would that be? Mm. Yeah, these are tricky. There's a, my book covers so much. <laughs> I would say, okay, I'll go back to the, the grateful, the gratuity one, like just okay. be grateful. Cause like, okay. we really do have it so great right now. Like if you're alive right now, I realize that like, we still have problems we need to fix. We shouldn't um, focus on those, you know, society as a society for sure. Right. But generally most people, most of the time, like we're a lot better off less likely to die. We're living longer. We have better access to food. We have better access to education. We have better access to, uh, medicine. If something were to go wrong, like all these things, like that's, that's pretty damn amazing, you know? Right. And I think we forget that. So agreed, man. Agreed. Michael, I appreciate it, man. I'm going to have all of your socials website where people can get the book in the show notes of this episode. Thank you again for hopping on here, man. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah, that was super fun, man. I appreciate it. And there you have it, episode number 207 with our friend Michael Easter. Now, although I didn't mention this in the beginning of the show, I'm going to ask you that if you share this with people in your group, your masterminds, wherever, however, if you share this in group chats, social media, email, word of mouth, however, wherever, show us that you shared it. Send it to me personally, email, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever, however. Share it with us. And we are going to reward you. We are going to send you a gift card. We're going to buy you a coffee. We're going to send you a shirt. We're going to do something to show how much we appreciate you going out of your way to share this and to be of value to the people that are in your circle, to be of value to the people you're sharing it with. And we want to be of value to you again in return. So keep that in mind. Make sure you're sharing this with the people around you and we will make sure to reward you again. Just make sure that you're showing us that you shared it and we will gladly reward in any which way. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.